This is the Supin Bannock Podcast. In collaboration with the Indigenous Health Professions Program and the Branches Program at McGill University, this podcast will shine a light into the experience of Indigenous individuals in their pursuit of a career in a specific field. In this episode, we'll be hearing from individuals within mental health fields, including psychology and social work. Take a peek at what they have to say. I want to at least, you know, crack the box open. Bring the, the voice of the community into the classroom. That when we come into these Western systems, that we never forget who we are and we never forget where we come from. So welcome everyone to our second episode of our Soup and Bannock podcast. My name is Alex Gray. I'm from Listigooch Mi'kmaq First Nation, and I'm joined today by three of our guests. Um, I'll give them a chance to introduce themselves. Let's start with uh, Cody. Hi, Alex. Um, you know, thank you for inviting me to the Soup and Bannock podcast. So, Cody Martin, Mike Martin. So with that, you know, it's kind of just proper of me to introduce myself and my parents, my family. Uh, I'm a second year social work student here at McGill University, currently residing in the uh, Mohawk Territory, Kahnawake. Uh So, you know, again, it's a pleasure to uh, to be here. Thank you. Lawden, Cody, let's go ahead and have Wanda Gabriel introduce yourself. Good afternoon. Um, glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation to be at the Soup and Bannock podcast. Very exciting. I'm coming to you from Ganesadage, Ganyakehage territory. It's a pleasure to be here. Yawa. Thank you so much, Wanda. And finally, Sage, will you please introduce yourself? So hi everyone, my name is Karakwineta, I also go by Sage. I am very happy to be here today and my parents are Susie and Diane LaBelle and Goodleaf. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, we, want, we invited you all here today. I just want to say thank you all for introducing yourselves. Um, we wanted to talk today about mental health specifically and seeing as how um, each of you are either practicing or studying in either social work or psychology. We thought we'd approach that from kind of indigenous standpoints today. Um, oftentimes, you know, uh, in kind of my own work, when I talk to people kind of communicating to them that health goes beyond, you know, just mental and physical, there's other components to it as well. Um, it's uh, sometimes it's a bit hard for them to understand, but it, it's a nice way, I think, for us to kind of communicate, you know, what does health mean to us? And so by focusing on mental health today, I thought we could not only, you know, highlight those kind of points, but also we could talk about the importance of, you know, health professions, specifically in psychology and social work uh, in the Indigenous community. So um, kind of for starters, I thought we could talk a little bit about, um, you know, what made you enter the field? If anybody wants to comment on that. That's a big question. <laughs> I'd like to start. Uh, so I'm a assistant professor at uh, McGill in the School of Social Work. Um, I've been, I've started my fourth year at McGill as a professor, and 
I have 30 years of practice in social work. And for me, uh, what got me into social work was having lived um, behind barricades for 78 days in 1990, the Oka crisis, and seeing what was happening to our people who were defending the land and the attack that happened by the Sauté du Québec and the Canadian Army. You know, I was a young mom at the time and really didn't understand how we could be in the situation we were in, um, protecting our land, being attacked so aggressively, so... Uh, enormously. And so, you know, during that time, during the time behind the barricades, I participated in many ceremonies to keep ourselves balanced. There were many spiritual leaders who came to our community to help us um, stay grounded and to stay in a good place. And so <clears throat> it was a time where I was exposed to many different spiritual teachings. And once the barricades came down, I decided to go back to the school to understand how could we experience what we were experiencing in a place called Canada. And so I went back to school um, and wanted to be a helper. And having witnessed so many helpers in the community, I was really pulled to be a helper uh, within our community. And also living 1990 also gave me strong teachings on what my responsibility as a Ganyakehage woman is and so I wanted to be of service to my community and to my people. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, um, I was doing a lecture this morning. Uh, funny you mentioned that um, because um, in my lecture I talked a little bit about the listicle salmon raids, and um, I put a lot of emphasis, I think, into talking about the idea that as Indigenous peoples, we we've been subjected to a lot, you know, in terms of trauma and, you know, transgressions trying to eliminate our, you know, access to our culture or territories. And the resiliency of Indigenous peoples is kind of seen in the fact that we're able to take these horrible things that have happened to us in the past and kind of spin them or use them as driving factors, you know, into making us access our rights twice as hard or being able to, you know, not let that trauma define us but use it as kind of a motivation to push ourselves even further. And um, I think it's a really honorable thing of you to say uh, that, you know, you used the, uh, the crisis in Ganesatage um, as a moment to figure out, you know, what was going on in the world around you. One of a few reasons why I had enrolled uh, in the social work program is because uh, Canada and the rest of the organizations um, don't recognize the credentials of, of traditional knowledge and, and the importance of uh, cultural teachings in revitalizing uh, our own our own customs and practices. Right, there's so many different fundamentals that have you know the evidence and, and prove to you know the general public that our own mechanisms can work to help our own people but you know as time progressed and, and modern advances and you know stuff began to fall wayside so uh but just just visiting home uh you know pre-covid and uh the opioid crisis had ex you know it, it exploded and there's there's a lot of people that I grew up with that are, are struggling with that type of addiction. I've lost people to, to opioids. I lost, you know, uh, a lot of 
close friends to to opioids and and, and you know the struggle continues but uh, I kind of also you know wanted to to really change that narrative also you know Alex you kind of brought it up just speaking about Migwidatum and and the 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 1981 raid right and uh, I was hesitant to to enroll in, in post secondary or university because uh, we all we all heard this you know concept of you're only going to get an education to come back and use it on your people right so you know with my own critical thinking and analyzing that that concept you know I kind of today presently in my second year and all my other uh, research and, and projects that I'm part of I you know I bring the, the voice of the community into the classroom you know into the academic world so so everybody could be a part of this this academic journey you know it's to help resolve the unresolved issues and problems that are uh, continuously uh, affecting affecting our communities and, and people you know day in and day out so yeah, thanks mm -hmm. Roland, thanks for sharing that um it brings up uh to mind I got the opportunity of listening to uh, Dr. Evan Adams give uh, a keynote uh, when we launched our program. And he spoke often of something called um, the Red Hope and how that exists in uh, Indigenous communities. And it's this idea that there, whenever an Indigenous person, you know, gets an interest in education or they're seen as somebody who, oh, you know, they can like make it into university and stuff, they kind of feel this pressure of kind of, the, you know, benefiting their community. Like, oh, you're going to come back and be able to, you know, aid your people. and it creates this kind of, you know, pressure because now it's not only about, you know, their own aspirations and such, but they kind of feel as if, you know, there's that added pressure that they want to also, you know, benefit their community, take the training. And so I remember uh, Dr. Evan Adams just calling out the Red Hope. And um, that's something that, you know, I, I never really thought of myself while I was in school, but um, you definitely, I think, adopt that community mindset. Um, and for me, uh, I can remember when I was having a rough time in my education, uh, you, you feel kind of the brunt of that. You feel not only that like, oh, I'm having a hard time. It's not only like a, a struggle on my part, but I feel like as if, you know, I'm letting my own community down. And it's just an interesting dynamic because it, it adds that added kind of like pressure, I think, in a, you know, such, a, such an environment like, a, like university and post-secondary education. Sage, and uh, before we kind of like transition a little bit here, um, I had a question for you. Um, I know that like you're kind of representing the the uh, psychology side of things. Um, how has that experience been for you uh, in terms of uh, you know your undergrad? Um, it's been complicated. I've I had a lot of professors tell me different things and different stereotypes regarding Indigenous people, and it's really degrading to hear that these stereotypes are so like vibrant within this McGill community you know it's really degrading to go to class and get questioned like I told you I believe the other day or at least Cody the other day um I was in my um hormones and behaviors class and we had a patient come up and it was like how do you treat an indigenous patient when they come into our ward and I was like stunned because of like you treat them like a regular person like you shouldn't have to change these methods and it was just kind of like this, you know, um, really just hurtful to see that still really prominent, especially right now within the like our, our separate relations of the Asian community and how like they're just being targeted right now. Like my friend 
he actually made a TikTok. His name is Jay Young. And uh, he was the one who was assaulted at Concordia. And he, we talked about it the other day. I was just like, this is ridiculous that it's so, you know, vibrant and just so active with racism. Or it's always been active. It's just been more publicized now, you know? Mm. But um, yeah, it's it's been difficult regarding psychology. I guess re- going back to your initial question, the reason why I got into this is actually because of all my beautiful women role models in my life that who have been helping me. So like Wanda, you're one of them. <laughs> so it was Brenda and my moms and my grandmothers um, and just kind of healing that. Like I want to be able to help heal that wound we have, you know, of the um, residential schools, the day schools, Oka crisis, like all of these, well, like uh, that was a little iffy one, but I mean, like, uh, you know, like very big traumatizing events that have happened just regarding systematic racism or racism in general, right? And I just want to help in that solution and like kind of go down to the things because like even a lot of the things that were passed on to me were unintentional. Like my grandfather, before he passed on his deathbed, he held my hand and he was te- quite, uh, speaking to me in Ganyageha because he was the only other speaker apart from Brenda in my family at the time. And he said, don't let them see you weak or cry because at residential school, they would hate you and beat you, right? So for the longest time, I never showed emotion. I just kind of held it in and I was the happy one. Like I just didn't express it. But now growing older, it's so like tied tightly within our tradition now of not showing emotion but like traditionally like traditional traditional we were so expressive we let everything show and it was like it's a beautiful thing you know all emotions and like we tied them into this tight little box because of colonialism and it's just kind of like I want to open that box you know I want people to see hey this this is not like terrible this is a really good thing and we should go back to our traditional ways you know of this but um yeah, so that's the really big reason as to why I'm in psychology and neuroscience. Um, just to like, I want to at least, you know, crack the box open and, you know, get the ball moving. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. So um, I think all of you are very much kind of touched on this concept of, you know, benefiting the community um, and sort of helping people understand, you know, what health is to us as Indigenous people. Um, you know, and kind of, t- I think all of us are touching on this this notion of trauma, you know, inter- especially, you know, intergenerational trauma is a word that's thrown around so much, especially in mental health. Um, I had a question for uh, kind of the room, which is in terms of, you know, mental health fields as careers, um, you know, social work, psychology, and so forth, where do you think that stands with Indigenous people? Um, uh, so maybe this would be a question for Wanda. Have you um, been experiencing difficulties getting your non-Indigenous kind of um, cohort or um, your coworkers, let's say, um, to understand, you know, how Indigenous people view, you know, their own health? Or have they been pretty open-minded? How's that been for you? That's a really good question, Alex. Thank you. I think that um, in recent times, in recent, yeah, recent times, let's say there's more openness uh, for non-Indigenous colleagues to understand our perception of health, which is a holistic perspective, which encompasses emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual. Um, I think there's a little bit more opening and understanding what holistic health means to us. However, however, when we're looking at a purely clinical approach, um, 
whether it's psychology or psychiatry and social work, it's more focused, more compartmentalized, looking at the emotion or looking at the mental component. The spiritual component I find is such a big piece missing from a Western perspective of, of health. And you know, when we're doing work in our community, working on healing, we look at the whole person. We look at spirituality, we look at the spirit, we look at the emotions, we look at mentally, physically. So um, there's a little bit more openness or willingness to uh, open that box, like uh, Sage was saying, opening the box and looking in. But I think there's still um, a real solid uh, anchoring in Western ways of looking at uh, well-being. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, something that I kind of uh, find myself referring to often is this idea of kind of weaving in different ways of thinking with uh, particularly like when I'm working with uh, a non-Indigenous uh, cohort. Um, it's this idea that, you know, I'm going to change scopes here a little bit and uh, talk about science, but the concept of how, you know, Indigenous kind of traditional knowledge uh, very much has science in it. Like our ancestors basically were living scientists. They lived the science of the land and, you know, they took their stories and they took their lessons from that. And there's validity in that. And I, you know, I, people, as you said, Wanda, I think now are very much receptive to learning how to incorporate or how to be open to these ways of thinking. But they, I've noticed that a lot of people still have very much difficulties of that, um, even in the Indigenous community. Um, I think, you know, when you take something that is Western in and of itself, like science, it could be incredibly difficult to kind of, you know, put yourself back into the mindset of, you know, okay, what, how would my community look at this? Or what are some things that I've learned kind of, you know, from my people that uh, could explain this, but in a different way? Um, I was wondering for uh, the two students we have, um, in terms of your courses and whatnot, how have you tried to incorporate kind of indigenous ways of thinking into um, other projects or assignments and stuff? How's that experience been for you? Uh, you know, I, like I said before, you know, I bring the community in the classroom with me. Um, and, you know, just all, all the, all the teachings and, and, you know, life experience from traveling, you know, Turtle Island and, and learning uh, everything possible, right? And, and to, to bring it into the social work practice um, has its challenges, but a lot of people are, are open-minded, but at the same time, they can't really uh, support or commit to some of the theories that I bring into the classroom, right? Because, you know, um, you know, my first year human development, we talked about, uh, you know, the behaviors of a good and bad child and how the DNA is dispersed or distributed from mom and dad. And, you know, you don't know, it's like a kinder surprise, right? In human development, you don't know what you're going to get in your egg. So, but, but <clears throat> I understand the whole attachment theory and, and, you know, the Western, Western part of it. But, you know, when we look at traditional knowledge and, and customs of human development, uh, and my professor was probably, you know, uh, shocked and probably still shocked that I brought this up is that in our own philosophies that uh, our parents don't pick us, we pick our parents, you know, for whatever reason that is, is that reason. And prior to coming into this physical world, this, you know, earth, uh, 
you know, we're all mandated with roles and responsibilities, gifts. You know, so and you try to break that down, and you understand that in the Westernized concept, you know, and you kind of get like uh, responses like, well, this guy's crazy or, you know, uh, how, how is that possible and such. And, and so that's like the challenging parts. But um, most recently, you know, it, it kind of ties into some of the, the relationship work that I've been doing with Wanda. And uh, last week or so, we did a uh, lessons learned you know, decolonizing the uh, faculty of social work, the school of social work, uh, because we see it all through the community of McGill, right? And that's some of the challenges that come up in the question that you had asked, Alex. And uh, we see the narrative of decolonization uh, transfer and mean different things through all faculties, right? Education has their own definition. Health and science has their own dis definition, psychology, and well, here's social work, bottom of the uh, hierarchy structure, still struggling to come with terms of what it means to decolonize, right? So uh, so I'll just leave it there for now. I don't want to go too much on a tangent, so thanks. Yeah, such a big conversation, though, for sure. And I, I mean, I think we're only starting to scratch the surface or, you know, um, universities are starting to scratch the surface on a lot of this work. Um, Sage, you were mentioning earlier in uh, courses how, like, you know, you were, you were a bit shocked by, you know, how Indigenous peoples were being incorporated inside of the classroom. Um, have you, how has your experience been, I think, in those types of classes or in your classes so far in your program? Have you gone into, you know, incorporating identity into uh, your work? Do you feel safe to do so? Um, have you, how has that experience been for you? Oh yeah, I definitely call them out on it anytime I can. <laughs> I'm not one to like strain away from this because they need to know. And I feel not in a sense obligated to educate them, but like it feels right for me. So I take on that role and responsibility. That's not saying all indigenous people need to take on this role. I don't mean that. It's just me in particular, I like to take it on. But no, I was just thinking about it. I had a pharmacology class uh, this morning at 8.30 and we were talking about different um, drugs, right? And I looked at him like, cause it was on Zoom, right? And I raised my hand and I was like, we're talking about op opioids, but I'm like, that comes from a poppy or like willow bark. Like we had all these traditional medicines we used and now they're like kind of explaining them in the system in a sense, you know, like they made these pills in little capsules whereas traditionally we would make them into teas or make them into different like ointments or different things. And I, I was just kind of like, wow, that's kind of funny that you just colonized our, our own medicines, you know? <laughs> but um, yeah, in that sense, and there's just so much to learn, but everything I think from my teachings that I carry, um, you have to go into every event with a right? A clear, good mind and a good spirit because you don't want that negativity to be going into that teaching you're teaching them, right? Like you can't, it, like, it's connected. All those words that are flowing to you to them is connected with energy and you don't want that to be strained with just negative. So you need to like calm yourself. If something angers you, take a deep breath back, sit down and then go back to it because you, you don't, if you're just feeding like anger with anger, it's just gonna get more angry. Like it just doesn't make sense. So that's what we're trying to shine away from. But that's my experience so far. It's looking up-ish. I don't know, but we'll see. <laughs> Yeah. 
you mentioning that in kind of a pharmacology classroom. I remember when I was doing my uh, bachelor's of science and um, a lot of my other friends and like, other, you know, everybody's respective program. There is something to be said, I think, for Indigenous students when, you know, you find yourself as maybe one, uh, maybe there are two people in a class who are Indigenous. And when Indigenous kind of people come to the forefront of, you know, the classroom topics, you kind of feel like you have to comment. You feel like you have to go up to bat for like, you know, all Indigenous people. Your heart starts to race. You get a little bit sweaty. And it's a lot of pressure that impacts your learning, you know, and a lot of other people don't have to experience that. They don't have to, you know, feel like, oh my God, I'm representing my people. <laughs> um, and I, you know, like you said, Sage, you're, you're of the kind of the, the mindset where you're comfortable to be able to comment in those situations or to give a teacher. And it's, it's a lot of pressure. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, even for myself, I was only really comfortable in commenting in those situations my last year of my undergrad. Um, and, you know, it's not that when you don't comment that like, oh, you, you believe in what's being said, but more or less, you just don't want to single yourself out or you're afraid to say something that like, oh, my peers are going to like look at me differently or something. Um, I'll, I'll share a story. I was in a uh, global health class, um, I think I was the only Indigenous person there. And um, we were a pretty small cohort, maybe like 20, no more than 30 students. And the professor wanted everybody to introduce themselves. And this was kind of new, you know. In science, uh, Sage, I think you see it. You're, you're pretty much a number. Um, the class sizes are usually so big that like, unless you're going to the professor directly, they don't know who you are. Um, and so I had an opportunity to kind of like present myself. So I said, you know, where I'm from, what my nation is. And... It, it was interesting because the moment I had done that, literally everyone in the class just whipped their head around, probably just to get a look at me because they probably never realized, oh my God, it's native. I don't think I've ever seen a native before. Um, <laughs> it's, um, it's an interesting experience, I think, when you, uh, when you include your identity into the classroom because it could be such a, there's so many ways that it can go. Whether, you know, you feel, there's definitely a pride, I think, when you, know, you can stand up for yourself or if you don't agree with something and you can express yourself but it takes a lot of courage and it's not an easy thing to do so i uh i uh i feel what you're what you're mentioning here um as we move on here um and i wanted to ask um to our two uh social workers or uh, our people who uh, are in social work let's say um you know maybe it's not so much the elephant in the room but social work has a history in the indigenous community um and it has, you know, brought a part that has mainly been of like trauma to a lot of, you know, Indigenous people um, by non-Indigenous social workers, mind you. But, um, you know, something that I advocate even in my job, because I promote a lot of these health professions, including social work, is the need for Indigenous health professionals out there. But it can be interesting, or at least for me, I find it interesting, you know, explaining that while also um, recognizing, you know, the past of social work in the Indigenous community. How, um, maybe uh, for Wanda or Cody, if you both want to comment on this, um, how do you approach social work as an Indigenous person, keeping, you know, this in mind of like the history, let's say? Cody, do you want to try first or you want me to go first? <laughs> Uh, go ahead, Wanda, break the, uh, break the ice. Break the <laughs> ice? That's a big question. Oh, my gosh. Where, how to, how to, how to wrap that one. Um, <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> I tend to be very long-winded. So if ever uh, you want to say, can you repeat that? Don't be afraid. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Okay, so can you repeat that? <laughs> Absolutely. So basically, <laughs> I did a bit of a, a lead up to it. But basically, my question is, you know, considering the history of social work in the Indigenous community, um, what are your approaches to the profession? You know, are you, in terms of, you know, indigenizing it or, you know, explaining to your cohorts kind of the history of social work that and the impact it's had on the Indigenous community? How do you go about that work? Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think the way that I approach social work is what I call walking in two worlds. So I've taken the theories of social work that fit uh, fit for me, and I've taken the helping, healing ways of Indigenous peoples and blend it together and bring a walking in two worlds approach. Um, absolutely, social work has been a tool of colonizer and continue to cause harm in the community, absolutely. And that's something that we, as social workers, as part of our professional identity development that we have to grapple with. And for me, the work that I've done has been always been an Indigenous community. And when I've worked with non-Indigenous, it's to educate non-Indigenous professionals, doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, nurses, on how to be uh, culturally safe, how to come from a place of cultural humility uh, when working in our communities. So it's really been bringing, to bring awareness on the profession of social work um, and also to have these conversations on how do, we, how do we not continue to be part of the colonial narrative, the colonial process. And, you know, the work that, you know, Cody mentioned relationship, you know, Cody and I have been, uh, you know, uh, getting to know each other since he started at McGill. And we have been, you know, in the past year, uh, particularly really, challenging social works position in in a colonial process and colonial education and you know i i ask my colleagues the question and ask whoever wants to listen are we continuing a practice of assimilation in the school of social work by what we're teaching students are we preparing indigenous students to go out into the field and be equipped with tools to work in their communities or are we teaching uh indigenous students western ways that they're gonna take in the community and it's not going to work, it doesn't work. So it's really about, um, I don't know if I answered your question, but I think um, just to say that there's a long ways to go still with social work. Um, and really, I think social work at this time is at a point of questioning, um, questioning our approaches and practice and thanks to students like Cody, like Sage who push back and say, you know, these things that, that are being taught about Indigenous people are not acceptable. Like, like can we break away from the stereotypes? Uh, can we break away from the stigmas around Indigenous uh, ways of knowing? And so I think, I think the profession of social work is really being challenged right now in all the schools across Canada, because, you know, in, our, in the work that we've been doing and pushing back uh, with Cody, you know, we've Taught, had conversations with other social workers, other professors in schools of social work. And I think it's timely right now for social work to be really reflecting on how we're doing the work we're doing. And, and hence, that's why we, we hosted um, uh, Lessons Learned last week um, to talk about as a school, like where have we come from uh, in the last year? Like, you know, the pandemic, all the anti-Black racism, anti-Indigenous racism that's been happening publicly, not that it's new happening, as Sage said, it's, you know, it's that it's more public right now. Uh, so, you know, there's real um, movements to step back and think about how, how are we delivering social work? How are we, uh, are we continuing colonial practices or not? 
I'll just leave it there. I'll give Cody a chance to answer. I hope I answered the question. Oh, absolutely. No, and I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, nice, uh, nice words as always, Wanda. Uh, yeah, so uh, I mean, I hope you tie your shoes and get a chance to go grab a cup of water because this is going to be a long answer now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's, you know, that's like the million dollar question. And, and for me, it is it's always a great opportunity to um, bring that, <clears throat> that trauma back into the classroom and, and re-educate those that are unaware of all the terrible events that happen to Indigenous people, you know, particularly just within the, so, you know, the practice of social work. And uh, we all know how community members like to be humorous and you know poke fun and, and throw jokes around and when people I hung around with and fellow friends and peers colleagues found out I was going to social work you know the first thing that came out of their mouth is well we're hiding my kids from you because of what you just you know uh, briefly described about the social work practice <clears throat> so with, you know I like to critically think and analyze all the material and, and questions and assignments that are, are being conducted in, in the school of social work where my first year as a U1, the school of social work was celebrating a 150 years at McGill. And I said, wow, that's cool. You know, that's, you know, that's nice, but how could you be uh, happy or uh, in a mood to celebrate 150 years of social work practice. You know, I said, that's, that affects me still in the present, in the present time, the present day, not only as an indigenous person, but, uh, you know, an indigenous student in the social work program. And, um, you know, prior to leading up to your question, Alex, all the same stuff that you, you know, described is, is some of the stuff, uh, I felt obligated to do because there's only two indigenous people in my cohort, me and another uh, lady. And, uh, you know, I was just sick and tired of people getting the, the wrong narrative all the time, you know, oh, you guys are only uh, make a big fuss about residential school and, and reconciliation and, and get over it. And, you know, I, I, I had enough. So I, I started challenging everything. And another unique thing about social work is not just about youth protection or foster care group homes. Social work has so many other doors that touches law, uh, health profession, uh, you know, it touches all the faculties across any kind of institution, right? So it's, it's well, well-rounded and diverse in, in many ways. And, which brings me up to some of the, the recent work that I've done with Wanda and prior to lessons learned, uh, I was tired of seeing statements like we're, we're there for the well-being of the indigenous people or the disadvantage. And these are statements coming from the Canadian Association of Social Work Education, the credit, accreditation network or you know the uh, bigger organizations. So I had submitted a letter to you know, the faculty of social work to, to support and, and stand in solidarity with all the Mi'kmaq people and uh, Sanyaville, right, with what was happening with the uh, 
lobster. And not only them, but, you know, in Gunasadage, uh, you know, what's currently taking place, uh, 1492 Lineback Lane, and, you know, lastly, the uh, pipeline transaction with the wet sweat and people. I wasn't expecting nothing of it. And, you know, but that really uh, opened up a lot of doors and people are starting to understand that words are not just words. So now people are starting to become mindful and, and be careful on what they release, right? Because it often comes back and bites you and you're behind. And that just so happens, you know, the way, the way things panned out and um, within our own private discussions, you know, with Wanda and our other uh, colleagues is, you know, we got to stir the pot and it's, it's, it's unfortunate that they, you know, it's, it's a um, hot potato. It goes to non-indigenous, indigenous, indigenous to one, you know, and, and nobody wants to, to take that responsibility to reconcile, you know, reconcile with themselves or, uh, fulfill that reconciliation, right? So, um, but there's light at the end of the tunnel, you know, so it's a uh, long progress. Thank you. Yeah, it's getting the ball rolling can be sometimes one of the most difficult parts, especially when it's been so stagnant for so long. I'm talking about that kind of conversation. Um, thank you for sharing that, by the way. Um, definitely resonated with me on a lot of fronts. Um, I was curious, uh, Sage, End of transition here. Um, in terms of psychology, if I understand correctly, you basically come from a family of psychologists. Is that right? Your grandmother and your mother are all psychologists. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> what? Um. As, seeing as how I know you're studying your undergrad in psychology, but I was wondering if um, how do you approach psychology, having you know such a such a large kind of footprint in it, with uh, you know your, the generations before you having you know you know done their work in psychology you know, indigenizing it as they would. How, how has that kind of impacted you in terms of how you approach psychology? Um, it hasn't actually impacted me that much, mostly because on my own healing journey for like men's with learning to express emotion and, you know, be friends with it. Um, I kind of shut them all out. So all the knowledge they had ever given me, I kind of just like disregarded it and had the mentality of, I could do this on my own. I don't need anyone else. That is obviously not the case. Everyone should talk about things. <laughs> and now I am going back to them and requesting more teachings and traditions, but like there's no timeline. You can always go back and learn more. <laughs> I think that's an important lesson I'm learning. And I mean, they have groomed me in the sense of wanting to go because I see how much of an impact they have in different communities they go to and in different um, universities they talk to or go to at and just speak on behalf of the psychology department and like indigenizing I guess in a sense I don't really like that term indigenizing but you know we gotta work with what we got or unguahuanizing I think I'll use that one now <laughs> and um, yeah I just I'm learning more. It's just, uh, it's a journey in itself. And I don't really have much to comment on this right now, but maybe in like a few years. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, you know, in terms of myself and my own work, I didn't really think on, you know, how can I incorporate my identity into my work until, you no, know, well, until I was finished my degree. 
And I find you have to do kind of like a series of unlearning a little bit, you know, in kind of these uh, colonial bodies like universities, um, you get a specific training uh, that it's very much kind of panders to a Western ways of thinking and knowing. And it can be hard to reconcile, you know, in my experience, um, you know, these, these traditional pieces of knowledge that you've been given or that you practice and, you know, this teaching style that sometimes doesn't, you know, coexist easily. You have to find ways of making them, you know, coexist kind of, Wanda, you touched on that, that walking in two worlds. Um, there's a word kind of for that in Megalogi, um, uh, not from Listikuch. Uh, I have asked around and apparently we don't have a word for it, but um, in a Nova Scotian dialect of Mi'kmaq, they call it a Edward Bidamuk, which is two-eyed seeing. And it's that idea, you know, there's so many ways of interpreting that, but yeah, I think I always like to incorporate that because I feel it talks a lot to, you know, our experience of post-secondary education. You know, we have this, you know, colonial history inside of these universities, but here we are as Indigenous peoples taking that training on, but bringing our own identities into it. Very much can feel like walking into worlds, like you said. So um, one of the other things I wanted to kind of uh, bring forward here is, uh, and this might be a question more for Wanda, is in your time as a social worker, um, where have you been seeing kind of the trajectory of, you know, Indigenous ways of viewing health uh, in, you know, the cohort around you and such? Uh, has it been progressing well? Um, I can imagine, you know, uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of discussion around it, or it's kind of taken different sides. But how is that, um, how are efforts kind of going towards that? Do you see a change? Is it kind of stagnant? I think since I've been practicing, I think there's there's been a, a emerging um, movement in reclaiming our cultural identity in community, um, where we see more ceremonies coming back to communities, uh, more uh, rituals, traditional rituals that are coming in. Uh, we see powwows coming into communities. You know, like I think of my own community. Uh, it wasn't until after 1990 that we started having powwows in our community. So I think there's a real re, resurgence of connection to our cultural identity in our communities um, and a valuing of our language uh, and our ways of practice and our own knowledge as well, you know, the, the medicines. Um, and I think there's people, community members are turning towards those who have those knowledge, those pieces of knowledge towards medicine, you know, or traditional medicines for healing. So, you know, if I think about the last 20 years, I see a real um, increase in returning to who we are um, and getting out of the colonial mindset, getting out of that colonial way of being and, and thinking of that um, cultural self-hate, which is part of what happens with colonialism is that cultural self-hate. So I see a lot of um, reclaiming reclaiming our place um, in our languages and our culture. In terms of social work profession, you know, I think back when I did my, my undergrad, it was, in, it was in the 90s and there wasn't a lot of publications by indigenous social work scholars back then. But today when I sit down to put together a course, uh, I can, you know, there's lots of indigenous scholars who are publishing uh, in social work as well as psychology um, and psychiatry, a lot more is available than when I was a student. So I think that there's um, uh, more value placed on Indigenous knowledge than there was 20 years ago. 
uh, ind indigenous publications. And so bringing more of those indigenous voices into the classroom in having access to published indigenous people. Um, you know, in the academic world. So we have that level, the academic world, more indigenous voices. But then we have the faith keepers and knowledge keepers in our own community, who I think um, are less invisible than before, because, you know, the, the way things were around tradition, you know, it was frowned upon, um, you know, 30, 35 years ago. Um, and so people who were doing ceremony were kind of doing it in secrecy. Uh, and today it's not, it's, you know, it's open and I see, you know, young people like Sage who, you know, are learning the language, who, who are participating in ceremony and who have access because it's open. Um, it's not hidden um, when, it, you know, when I was a young person. So uh, I think there's a big, um, a, a big shift in what is available to youth uh, and more value in who we are and the cultural practices that we, that we have. Um, and I think that that's part of the healing that's happened uh, over the past 30 years around, you know, the Aboriginal Healing Foundation did a lot of work in our, across the land uh, on healing, healing the impacts of residential school. Uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has had an impact in our communities that bring voice to who we are and celebrate who we are um, and has um, counteracted the shame that has been used, because shame has been the biggest psychological weapon used in colonization to make us feel inferior and less than. So I see that this stuff happening is a counterattack to the shame. And so more pride uh, coming out of our young people and celebrating who they are. So I'll stop there, give others a chance. Yeah, Wanda hit a, a lot of good points, uh, you know, especially about the timeline, you know. Um, and for me, you know, uh, not being involved as, as a social worker professionally, but growing up around it, you know, social work was the uh, roundtable discussion in whoever's home you went to go visit, you know. Uh, we all know and seen how... Uh, children migrated from home to home within the reserve, you know. <clears throat> so we, we, you know, we get to learn these, these, these basics early on, but <clears throat> for me, you know, it was the, the ceremonial parts of it and, and, you know, being involved as a helper throughout, throughout Canada and, you know, trying to, uh, put that into practice in, in a Western setting, you know, it, it has its challenges, but uh, at the same time, we have to be mindful, right? Because a lot of our elders are, are still conduing, are conducting their own health because they still have that uh, shame and fear of uh, Indian agents and, and remain in underground with uh, a lot of important uh, teachings and, and, you know, various bundles that need to to come back out but you know due to the the impacts you know it, it's uh, it's a constant battle you know within your own communities and not just in the the classroom but um <clears throat> so yeah <clears throat> ceremony it plays uh it plays real uh a real important part and uh i don't know a lot of people uh, 
are scared because people are bringing it into the academic world and it's kind of losing content or context. And uh, I don't know, I think it's this very inter interesting question or, or something to, to discuss, you know, is, is because it's either you're damned if you do or you're damned if you don't, right? And that's and, and when coming to, you know, back to the, the profession of social work and, and some of the uh, famous questions that are, that are asked or, you know, intersectionality, you know, how does inter intersectionality impact you? You know, and when we break down that word and really look at it, you know, we're still a, you know, we're still a, a disadvantaged peoples, you know. So, uh, yeah, thanks for the question and good words of wisdom, Wanda. Thank you both so much for sharing that. Um, we're kind of coming near to the close of our hour-long discussion and um, something that uh, I uh, introduced in the last podcast and I'd like to kind of visit it here is um, the idea that, you know, I think Wanda, you touched on it, everyone's basically touched on it, this idea of the future, you know, future generations and, you know, doing work now so that it'll be easier for them. And I think that, that ties a lot to, you know, the teachings, you know, we all have in our respective cultures. Um, for students or, you know, youth, or even people thinking about, you know, uh, either psychology, social work, or university in general. Um, what are some things that you would like to tell them to help them kind of on their way in making that decision? You know, either they can do things to consider, things that you had learned, um, th thinking along those lines. It's an open question to everyone. For me, it's, uh, you know, to remind uh, future self or past self or anyone enrolling into post-secondary. Remain silent in terms of, you know, it, the more you release and the more you uh, kind of tackle and destruct the colonial powers and the different mechanisms and mechanics that are put in place for indigenous people to rarely succeed in, in post-secondary just you know take it with a grain of salt and, and you know do the best as 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 you can because you know from my own experience and and you know fighting the powers that be and um, being very vocal and advocating uh, across the spectrum on various issues that affect uh, indigenous people um, I feel like Plato being pulled apart from my own institution across Turtle Island, you know, and it, it's a good thing, but at the same time, you know, I kind of just like to sit on my porch and, and have coffee and, you know, pick on my kids, but sometimes it's, it's work, 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 but other than that, you know, it's, uh, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Wanda, you were going to say something? Yeah, I'd like to comment. I want to say that education is a tool. And that when we come into these Western systems, that we never forget who we are. And we never forget where we come from. Hmm. And that education is a tool that can help us, that it can be a tool to add to our toolbox. It's not the tool. You know what I mean? It's not the tool. It's a tool. It's one tool to add to the toolbox that we have. Um, and as Indigenous people, 
we have a lot of tools and not to forget our own tools and how important they are to the survival of our people. And if we're gonna take our place as partners in this world, and that's what I hope for, for my great, great, great grandchildren. I don't see it for my grandchildren. I don't see it happening because the colonial structure is so embedded and so solid. But I say for my great, great grandchildren that um, when they to be able to have education uh, as a tool so that we can be partners in Canadian society, real partners, not inferior, not less than, but real partners and that our uh, knowledge, our dimension of knowledge is valued all across the board. Our epistemologies, our, our, our you know, ethics, our ontologies, our knowledge, our ways of seeing and doing are valued and respected. And so that we can be in partnership like the two Rawampum shows us in Ganyakeha. Uh, you know that we are two vessels going side by side and each of our, our values, principles, ways of being are respected and that we continue to go down the life's river side by side in an equal respectful way. And that's how I hope, um, you know, future can be. That's what I, the work that I'm doing, I'm hoping I'm laying seeds for that so that my great, great grandchildren can be partners and take their place as partners in this society, not to be viewed as less than. Yawa. Thank you. And finally, Sage. What's going on that you took the words right out of my <laughs> head, Wahi, like that you just said everything I was gonna say. But uh, I just want to say like that there, when applying to post-secondary studies and going throughout that process, there isn't a linear structure. You can go back and it's okay to ask for help. Like you need to ask for help, I would tell myself. Uh, and if you need, if you feel the need to stop and like go back to tradition, that's okay. Like, you know, it's, you can go back to school. School's always gonna be there, but you don't, you know, like our elders, you don't know how long they have. So you gotta cherish all those teachings you're given and pursue that way. And that's just the way I think about it right now. It's just like going back to Gunnarsasne and like going to school, you know, got the two, two rows right there <laughs> for my system. But, uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Definitely the walking in two worlds approach. All right. Does anybody have any uh, closing thoughts they want to share before we close out our discussion today? Just thank you for uh, a wonderful time to be able to share and just talk about our realities around health and mental health. Uh, really appreciate this podcast. And uh, thank you, Alex, great moderator. And great to see you, Sage, and to hear where you're at. And Cody, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, Wanda. Yeah, thanks for for the in invitation and you know, uh, letting me to speak some of my humble words, I guess. But uh, on a closing note, you know, something that kind of sticks with me is uh, Murray Sinclair in some of his statements that he says that you know, education has gotten us into this mess, and education is going to get us out of this mess. So. You know, that's real inspiring rather than taking everything with a grain of salt. So, you know, to whoever's listening, uh, go ahead and, you know, apply to as many institutions as possible. Thank you. I guess I'll go too. <laughs> so like, I'm just happy to uh, like happy. Thank you everyone for being here today. And um, 
that's it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. So this closes out our second episode of the Supin Bannock podcast. I'd like to uh, thank our guests for you know taking the time to talk with us. And I hope everybody has a good time. See you again. Thank you for listening to the Soup and Bannock podcast. For more information or to stay in contact, see the Branches Program website at www.mcgill.ca forward slash branches dash program forward slash or visit the Indigenous Health Professions Program website at www.mcgill.ca forward slash indig dash health forward slash. Thank you for tuning in and we look forward to sharing more stories with you soon.